And it's a lot of work to be sober and to really get those thoughts out of our head. Because if it's a thought, if it's an attraction that we can carry with us everywhere, we have to learn to be so disciplined. And that is not easy. And as we're learning to become disciplined, we're withdrawing and we're starting to feel like crap physically and maybe mentally. And it just makes it easier to want to go back. But we have to hang in there and get through the withdrawals and the process of being sober so we can truly start to recover ourselves and the kind of life we want to have. Welcome to Love Addiction Recovery Over 40. I'm your guide, the coach in your pocket, Lacey Bentley. This show explores how to heal from your love and sex addiction and save your marriage. If you aren't sure where to start or what comes next, this is the place for you. I've spent 23 years leading women through addiction recovery, and I can tell you for sure, no one succeeds alone. You've got this, and I've got you. Let's get started. Today, I want to talk to you about two words you've probably heard quite a few times, especially if you're already attending meetings, especially 12-step meetings. And these words are recovery and sobriety. In a lot of places, including 12-step and therapy, you might hear these words used interchangeably. But what I want to submit to you today is they are actually two very different words with very different meanings. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Sobriety, by definition, is abstinence or refraining from something specific, a substance like alcohol, marijuana, yummy sugar, whatever that means for you. Being sober from something means you're not using it anymore. You're not taking it into your body anymore. You can also be sober or abstinent from a process or behavior like gambling, sex with strangers, texting or meeting up with an affair partner or someone you have a crush on who is married or you're in an intimate partnership. So sobriety is critical to recovery, but you can be completely sober without actually being in recovery. This is what is often called white knuckling. The focus is on avoiding the behavior instead of addressing the underlying issues like lust, trauma, attachment disorders, intimacy disorders, that kind of thing. Staying sober without gaining full recovery. I mean, it's great. Stay sober. We need to stay sober. It's critical. But without real recovery, sobriety isn't going to last as long. And often we stay sober in one area but then we jump to something else. For example, for a lot of women in love addiction and even sex addiction, we'll come into these meetings and go, okay, so I'm quitting the emotional affairs or I'm quitting whatever I'm quitting. But a lot of us also have a history of an eating disorder or overspending or smoking or alcohol, this kind of thing. Because when you just focus on being sober in one area of your life without truly recovering, that pain is still there that you need to heal from and recover from. So you're going to have to find something else to numb it. And that's why we do what I call pinch hitting or whack-a-mole in recovery. And it's just kind of like knocking whichever addiction is popping up that day, knocking it down instead of really dealing with what's happening inside so we can get the true healing and recover ourselves, which is the goal of recovery and hopefully the goal of sobriety. Recovery is true, deep healing, and it requires a change, not just of heart, but of behavior. To be in recovery, we have to give up everything we need to, to fully detox. And we have to be willing to go through the detox process. Now, 
we have to learn to deal with the triggers of life instead of numbing or turning to the addictive behaviors, whether it's texting this person or going into fantasy or picking up another romance novel or turning on whatever show we're watching lately. Someone who does not want to have to work hard or take that kind of responsibility, who's not willing to give up those kinds of things and stay sober from them and then deal with what comes up, again, isn't going to stay sober permanently. They will probably just go to something else. Recovery means having to face these things, to face our character weaknesses, to face the harm we've caused others, which is way uncomfortable. Nobody loves to do that. And it also means changing patterns of behavior and habitual processes in such a way that we no longer live or think like we used to. It's no longer comfortable to come home from work and grab a bag of chips, have that for dinner, sit in front of the TV, zone out until one or two in the morning, go to bed, wake up at 7 a.m. and do it all over again. We have to get to a place where we no longer like living that way because we've recovered who we are and what we really want, which for most of us is actually to be connected in our lives and to the people around us. We just don't know how. We've spent so much time numbing and shutting off, not even realizing that's what we're doing, that it's just a habit. And we have to be willing to detox and stay sober while also filling in the blanks that are created by not using those acting out behaviors and learning who we are, what we want, what our traumas are, what the issues are that are making us want to numb so that we stop having to go there and we can become the kind of people we want to be. We can really be healthy. We can finally shed that 30 or 40 pounds and keep it off permanently because we actually take care of ourselves instead of pretending it's not really a problem or blaming it on the addiction. Okay, so I want to actually talk a little bit about sobriety and what sobriety will create for you and then recovery and what recovery will create. So sobriety is awesome. We need to stop the behaviors, the substances, whatever. Here it's love addiction. We need to stop whatever that means for us. And it will probably result in withdrawals. Withdrawals could be a lot like having the flu with body aches, nausea, headaches, really tired, stressful or addiction-related dreams. For me, I got really anxious. I got shaky. The obsessive thoughts about the person get really ramped up. And it feels like every second of every day, you're trying to turn your brain away from thinking about this person. It doesn't just feel like that. You really are. And it's a lot of work to be sober and to really get those thoughts out of our head. Because if it's a thought, if it's an attraction that we can carry with us everywhere, we have to learn to be so disciplined. And that is not easy. And as we're learning to become disciplined, we're withdrawing and we're starting to feel like crap physically and maybe mentally. And it just makes it easier to want to go back, but we have to hang in there and get through the withdrawals and the process of being sober so we can truly start to recover ourselves and the kind of life we want to have. So I'm going to tell you a story. When I broke off an addictive relationship early in recovery, this is about 13 years ago, my sponsor, who is an amazing woman, I still adore her. She taught me so much. And she had previously quit pornography and compulsive masturbation. She had not actually been addicted to a person, which is what I was dealing with in my love addiction. 
When I was explaining my withdrawals to her, she was supportive and I had no idea what she was really thinking. But later she admitted she didn't believe it was possible that I was having these kinds of physical reactions from cutting off a relationship. And so I was nauseous. I was weak. I could hardly get out of bed. This was for just over two weeks. The aches and pains, you guys. I had the shakes. I was shaking all the time. Cold sweats. It was awful and a constant fight to keep my mind on anything but the guy I was detoxing from. And so it took about two, maybe two and a half weeks. And I, for probably seven, 10 days of it, was barely functioning at all. I would roll out of bed to my recovery materials and like sit there leaned against the wall and just read my 12-step book or do my work. And it was all half-hearted because I felt like crap and I couldn't believe I was doing this. Hardly functioning. So a while later, she becomes addicted to someone in her life for the first time. So she's quit the porn, she's quit the masturbation, and she has now become addicted to someone in her life. And she's like, wow, this is crazy. I can't believe this happened, but that's okay. I'm going to break it off because I want to be in recovery, not just sober from the porn. So she broke up that relationship. And after a few days, the detox hit. And she changed her mind and made a 180. She caught me after a meeting when she was about a week and a half into breaking up this relationship and told me how skeptical she was that what I was experiencing was actually withdrawals. But she was so sick and she had started shaking. So yeah, you do have to chemically detox even from people a lot of the time. And if you're saying, well, Lacey, I've never actually had to chemically detox. I don't know what that's like. I've just ended the relationships and moved on. I'm pretty sure if that's the case, you've ended one relationship that's addictive and just jumped into a new one. So be aware of that. And know if you've never experienced hardcore withdrawals, from these relationships or from sex or from whatever it is you're trying to separate yourself from, you have not gotten enough space from the addiction. Now, it won't necessarily be as intense as mine was. Like, I'm not kidding you when I say I hardly functioned for over a week. It was all I could do to drag myself to the bathroom, to get some food, to get some water, and I was back in bed. It was awful. No fever, went to the doctor. There was nothing wrong with me except I was detoxing. This stuff is not fun and it is worth it. I remember talking to one lady in my book. I talk about how, don't worry, you're not going to die. You're going to feel like you're going to die, but you're not going to die. And I was talking to her and she goes, I read that part. And I was like, oh, Lacey, you're so funny. But oh my gosh, I totally felt like I was going to die. I couldn't believe it. You were right. You're not going to die. You may not feel like you're going to die, but sometimes it feels like if I don't just text him, I'm not going to be okay. If I keep going through this withdrawal process, I'm going to lose my mind. You're really going to be okay. Your brain is just freaking out and so is your body. So let me tell you a little bit about what's happening there. When we're in an addictive cycle with a person or a substance, our brain gets used to extra high levels of neurohormones. You've probably heard of these kinds of things, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, this kind of stuff. And when we break off the supply of these abnormally high hormone levels from the highs of seeing our affair partner or seeing this person we've got this major crush on or sending a text to someone we know we ought not to be, it feels really good. 
It's arousing romantically, sexually, however it is for you. It's different for each of us and depends on the relationship. But the truth is it feels really good. And we like feeling good. Our brains and bodies, we like to feel good. It's just human nature. We want to move away from pain and we want to move towards pleasure. It's just how it works for humans. It's actually how it works in, I think, all of the animal kingdom. It's not natural for us to move towards pain. And so beyond feeling good, if something painful or stressful is coming up, we can get a hit by sending a text or reading an email or going and scrolling through Facebook or swiping left or right or whatever it is. And it can numb us, even if not creating a high, it can numb us. It can send just a certain amount of these neurochemicals and it just calms us down. So we're so used to this. These parts of our brains that accept these hormones get overworked and exhausted. They can burn out. So when they're given the chance to finally calm down because we start to remove these intense situations, these behaviors we're doing that are really ramping our brains up, It's like going weeks of very little sleep, just living on sugar and caffeine and whatever. And then all of a sudden you remove all of that and you sit down and what happens? You crash. You don't want to get up. You're just burned out. You're done. And it takes so much to get yourself off that couch. Well, that's the withdrawal process for your brain. It's been living off of all of this stuff, this abnormally high addictive process, these addictive levels of chemicals and neurohormones that it's not supposed to be functioning at. Our brain isn't supposed to function with these levels of these chemicals. And now they're just exhausted and they're just worn out. That's why in early recovery, you're going to need naps. You're going to need a little extra salt. Our brains thrive on water and rest and salt and glucose, but you have to be careful because then you can become addicted to sugar in this process or sleep or something like that. So we have to get some exercise in there. There's a lot we have to do to try to really recover now that we're working on sobriety and pulling these unhealthy levels of these brain chemicals and body chemicals as we're getting those back to normal. And we're going to feel flat and just blah for a while. And when I say a while, I don't mean a few days. I mean months, maybe a year or so. But it's not going to be really bad for that long. It's going to suck. There is no way around that for a few weeks when you get sober. But if you can get through that sober period and you can get to where you detox, you can start to rebuild. And this is where recovery comes in. We actually get to work on true recovery now and figure out, okay, now what? Who am I? So recovery does bring its own types of detox, but they're different. This type of detox is we've gotten rid of, for me, it was social media. I was off social media for about 18 months. I only got back for work because I wanted to be able to connect to a lot of women. And a lot of the women that I wanted to connect with for becoming a coach and stuff were on social media and Facebook. I was off social media for a year and a half, close to two years. And all of a sudden I'm bored. What do I do with my time? I was spending all my time on social media. And so then I tried romance novels. That just made it worse. I do not recommend that. But then while our brain and body try to figure out what's happening, they're also healing physically. And there's a lot we can do to help with that. 
The problem is we've forgotten how to think about anything besides what we've been addicted to or anyone besides what we've been addicted to. So not only have we gotten rid of or removed what's keeping us happy and numb and in this constant high, but now we're facing reality. And this is part of the crappy recovery process where we realize, wow, I'm late on some deadlines at work, or I've got some school assignments that I have got to get done and I may not pass this class this semester. Or my house is a way bigger mess than I thought it was. So it's not just about what we need to remove and what we need to detox from and withdraw from. It's about now, what do we do to actually recover our lives? Some of our relationships have fallen into oblivion, that kind of thing. And now there's this additional stress as reality smacks us in the face. And it's almost like it's life and reality are mocking this pain we're experiencing physically and emotionally. And we don't have our drug. And this is where it gets really, really intimidating and intense. And this is where if you can hang in there, if you can get through this part, if you can stay connected to your recovery meetings, to your people in recovery, to your coach, to your therapist, to the people who want you to heal and recover, who want you to get yourself back, you're going to be able to make it through this process. And this is not a quick process. Again, we're talking at least months, but the worst of it is only about probably I would say four to six to eight to 12 weeks. The very worst part of mine was two weeks, but it was pretty rough for about 12. Once I got through that period, I had one major relapse after that and then I was good to go. So know that that's normal. Reality is the people around us don't really know what we're going through, even if we've told them. And unless you've experienced a space in sobriety and recovery, I can't really prepare you for it. And I can't do it justice, but here you are, you're smiling at the world and it may feel like you've been hit by a train and left for dead, but you haven't. This is going to pass and this is part of the process. This is what you have to get through to say, not only am I sober, but I'm in recovery because you're willing to go through what you have to, to recover who you are, who you want to be and the life you meant to be living all along. You just didn't know how. Sadly, a lot of us refuse to stay in this for long enough and to deal with the tiny shifts that start to help us feel better, that start to help us feel less numb and just don't get back to that place where we go, wow, I actually have a whole life to live. That's pretty great. I have a lot to live for. And I want to encourage you right now and to add to it, to make a list of what do you have to look forward to? Why do you want to do this? For me, it was, I absolutely love my kids. Since I was little, I wanted to be a mom. And I did not want my kids to come from a broken marriage and a broken home if there was anything I could do to prevent that. Well, I was the one causing a lot of the issues for myself, which was both intimidating and encouraging and empowering because, wow, I can do this. Like I can make the changes that need to happen so my kids don't have to come from a broken home. So, They became my why until I became my why. And me having a life I could love and cherish and be proud of became my why, which took a few years. And now I stay in recovery because I like me. I like the life I live. I like my friends. I like this life I've created. I like my clients. I love what I do. My husband's amazing. We've rebuilt our relationship. My kids are becoming adults. And it is so much more amazing even than I thought it would be back then. 
And those thoughts of what I could have if I would just hang in there, even though I knew it still wouldn't be perfect and it hasn't been, those thoughts got me through the hard times in the sobriety process and the withdrawals, and they kept me in recovery for the long term. So some things that start to happen when you really are in recovery, you've gotten through the hardest parts of the detox are the recovery materials you've been reading and what you've been hearing in your meetings and from your therapist and the podcast you've been listening to, they start to sink in and they start to make sense. Somebody shares a story and you see yourself in it in a positive way, or you see something in their story and go, oh, that applies to me. I do that too. And I like her idea for what she's doing to deal with it. I want to try that too. And you start to see hope and you start to see things that you do, little things you can take responsibility for and start to shift. Oh yeah, I don't eat any fruits and vegetables. I'm going to peel a carrot and throw a carrot in my lunch every day. That's recovery. Adding just a little bit to help nourish you, body, mind, soul. That's recovery. That's you bringing good things into your life to become the person you want to be. Taking responsibility can still feel scary. It feels scary for a long time. Sometimes I even go, oh, I don't want to take responsibility for that. Mostly I've learned not to do things I'm later going to have to apologize for. But every now and then I still slip up and I go, darn it, I forgot. I don't want to have to apologize or take responsibility for being a snot. But I do. All of us do. This is a process for all of us. If you're not constantly learning and trying to become a better person throughout your entire life, not trying to recover more and more and become more of who you want to be, you're out of recovery. Recovery is a continual process. And it's a process that not just those who have been love or sex or whatever addicted need. We all need to figure out who we are and learn to be the best version of ourselves if we want to be really, really happy. And that process is a lifelong learning process. It's not, oh, I got to be going to meetings and doing recovery the rest of my life. No, it's why would you not want to be learning who you are and learning to have a more and more exciting and incredible life for yourself and those around you? So it's not just addiction recovery. It's this is about your whole soul and you're a whole being. It's going to take you time to get to know you. And it is so worth it. And it's not going to be difficult forever. I do not consider recovery hard anymore. It's, well, shoot, I just did something that I'm ashamed of. Shame's not helpful. What's my responsibility? What do I need to do? That's theirs. That's not mine. I can see how I triggered them. I'm responsible for how I purposely hurt people. I'm responsible for how I take what they say. Oh, here's me looking for something that's not really there anymore. That's against my recovery plan. And then I just make the shifts. I make the changes. And over time, you get further and further away from any behavior that even looks like what was once your addiction. I hope it makes sense why you need both sobriety and recovery. And I'm going to review that really quick. Sobriety will remove whatever it is you're addicted to. It will take that out of your life. You'll go through the withdrawal process. It won't be your favorite part of life and you'll get through it. You'll be okay. Recovery is going to give you back yourself. Sobriety is necessary for recovery to take hold, but without recovery, that sobriety will slip away at some point and you'll become re-addicted or addicted to something new 
and you'll just keep the cycle going. But if you get into real recovery and start to look at what are my pains? What are my traumas? What are the abuses or griefs or beefs or resentments? What's in my past? What's in me right now that has me wanting to numb or use another person to make myself feel better? Then deal with that in order to let go of what keeps bringing you back into these addictive cycles. So let's talk for a minute about how to gain recovery instead of just sobriety. So this depends on why you became dependent on who or what you're dependent on to begin with. Many of us in love addiction have wounds of loneliness or abuse, isolation, important relationships lost, abandonment, neglect. So much can go into what created an addictive personality, if you will, or this hole that we then fill up with numbness or addiction. So why you went there in the first place is going to have to be dealt with. So the early stages of relationships are exciting and jumping from one friendship or romantic interest to another can become so exciting and so much a part of who we are just to feel better that early on preschool, kindergarten, first grade, you guys, my addiction goes back at least to first grade when I remember doing this kind of thing. I remember seeking out relationships that made me feel a certain way in first grade. So where does that come from? I was super lonely at home. I didn't feel validated. I didn't feel seen. I didn't feel cared about. And for a lot of us, that's reality. That's truth. My mom had just remarried someone. I had no relationship with my dad. Her dad was sexually abusing me. She was a baby. I'm now responsible for taking care of a baby. I'm seven years old and I'm taking care of my five-year-old little brother. I'm getting up. I'm taking myself to and from school every day. I'm feeding myself breakfast. Thankfully, they had lunches at school because I don't even know if I knew how to make a lunch at that point. So this was a lot of stress and I was not nurtured. I stopped being nurtured when that other baby was born. I lost my mother when my little sister was born. Is that her fault? No, it's not her fault. But I lost my mother at that point. She had a new little girl. My mother had her own addictions, her own issues. And may she rest in peace. She and I really recovered our relationship the last few days of her life. But when I was seven, this was almost 40 years ago, I was alone. And so, of course, in first grade, I'm already starting to develop these addictive relationship patterns. I've already got a crush. And I'm fantasizing about this kid and him helping me with my homework because I didn't understand math. I picked up reading like that, but this math stuff, numbers were really difficult for me until I hit college actually and took my first stats class. And all of a sudden numbers made sense to me, which is totally freakish and weird. I get that, but they did make sense, but not until I was over 30. And so I would imagine he would sit down with me on the playground and help me do my math homework. How cute, but also addictive was that? Because that's when I started fantasy relationships. So just know if you're thinking back going, wow, I've been doing this forever. That's okay. A lot of us have. And we get to go back and go, okay, so I was really lonely, at least from that point. Let me handle that loneliness. And now I have wonderful relationships, not just with my husband and my kids, but wonderful female friendships. 
have a fantastic therapist. I always have a fantastic therapist in my back pocket. I always have some sort of coach in my life. Right now I have three. So I've got these people who help me look inside and see what part of me needs to be recovered. In first grade and in early recovery, it was this part of me that knew I was worthy of attention and care and nurturing that I had not had since I was six and a half years old. And so now I'm very careful to nurture me. And since then, I've been adopted and I've got a mom who's just adorable. And if I call her crying, she says to me, you guys, I'm almost 46 years old. She says, sweetheart, did you sleep very well last night? No, (laughs) I didn't. She's like, okay, I want you to get something to eat. Do you have something you can get to eat or do I need to call your husband? I'm like, no, mom, I'm almost 46. I can get me something to eat. So I'll get something to eat. We'll have a salad. We'll have a sandwich. I get a drink of water and I'll go take a nap. And guess what? I wake up and I feel better. We never stop needing that nurturing. We never stop needing that nurturing. And it is so critical in recovery. You learn to nurture and be tender with yourself because sobriety is hell. And it's not because you deserve it. It's not because you're a bad person. That's all shame talking. It's because you've been through a lot and you didn't know what else to do. And so you've dealt with love addiction, excessive fantasy, emotional affairs, sex addiction. You've dealt with whatever you've dealt with. And here you are. And now as an adult, you're responsible for taking care of yourself. That's all. And that's what I'm here to help you do. These relationships that we get ourselves into from early on or whatever, it's intoxicating. That's why we do it. And we kind of get addicted to this chaos and intensity and this insanity. And we think that intense and chaotic means love and connection. And it really doesn't. And I remember the first time I heard something like that, I was actually reading John Bradshaw's book, I think, Killing the Shame That Binds You. One of my favorite books by John Bradshaw. Just found out he passed away. Oh, I was so sad. But in reading Killing the Shame That Binds You, he talks about this and how we see... I think he says chaos is connection and intensity is intimacy. At least that's how I remember it. And it just, wow, all of a sudden my whole life made sense to me. I want you to kind of look for things like this. What do you mistake for love? What do you mistake for connection and intimacy? For me, it's intensity, chaos, whatever. I grew up in a chaotic environment. You probably did too. Then I married into chaos. And then I created chaos. And then I got to spend a lot of time calming everything down for all of us. All right. So I know a lot of this might sound abstract and kind of wooey. And I get that on some level, it really is abstract. I mean, I'm telling you, love yourself, nurture yourself. Maybe you have an idea of what that means, but maybe you don't. A lot of us don't. I remember hearing over and over, you have to do self-care. You have to take care of yourself. I didn't even know what that meant. They were like, oh, it means taking a shower a few times a week. And I was like, oh, because I was so depressed, I was showering once, maybe twice a week. It means eating three meals a day and getting proper nutrition. I was living on junk food. Like who's not living on junk food nowadays? But it's this kind of stuff. And you will get to know what this means for you. It's not as abstract as it sounds at first. And I want to give you a few ideas of where to start. Some of these are where I actually started. And you absolutely at any point can reach out to me if you want more information. I have classes actually designed to teach 
you how to get sober and recover and how to take care of and nurture yourself. One of the first things I want you to think about is what's not working in your life? What drives you deeper into addiction and numbing? So for me, it was things like social media, romance novels, this kind of thing. What is that for you? And then look at what do you do to numb? Phone games, social media again, TV binging, whatever. And that'll give you a good place for what you need to manage or remove. And then I want you to look at what is healthy and productive and safe to replace some of this with. So you don't just end up with all of this free time and crazy bored because you will not stay sober if you have nothing to do because you just removed all of your addictions from your life. You'll just find something else or you'll relapse. And I know that's not what you want to do. So the kinds of things I recommend here is attending recovery meetings and have a few. At one point, I was attending four or five meetings at a time. And there were a couple of weeks where I attended seven or eight because I am firmly a fan of the adage, if you can't stay sober between meetings, go to another meeting. And so one week I literally went to, I think it was eight meetings in a week. Add meetings, get a sponsor, get a good therapist, have friends you talk to, people you talk to. A lot of coaches are and mentors are actually willing to work in conjunction with the therapist, especially if you have a trauma-informed therapist or a CSAT, which is a certified sex addiction therapist, or there's another type of sex addiction therapy. I can't remember what it's called, but it's also really good. Something else I recommend is restarting date nights or vacations with your spouse or intimate partner if you have one. If not, restarting girls' nights or hanging out and doing game nights. My husband and I, we are having a game night with people at least two or three times a month. It's a blast because we both love games and we have lots of friends who love games. And we just actually started a D&D. I don't know if you guys are into Dungeons and Dragons. But we just started a D&D campaign with one of my closest friends and their sister and brother-in-law and our youngest kid. And we all go every other Sunday and we play D&D for like three hours. And it is a blast and it's nurturing the relationships. And now on that Sunday night, I know I'm not going to be bored and I look forward to it like I used to look forward to, but without the addictive side, seeing my target or qualifier. It's really amazing what recovery will do for your brain. Something else I want you to take a look at is what can you bring back that you used to love? Hiking, painting, home improvement, that kind of thing. I started coloring again. I love Alice in Wonderland and I got an Alice in Wonderland coloring book and now I color my Alice in Wonderland coloring book and it's fun. So what do you know you used to love that you can bring back into your life? Now, one warning here. You need to be careful not to take on too much because you can get overwhelmed or spend too much time doing. So you're not taking time to be quiet and deal with your stuff and do your recovery work, which is critical. We need to be doing recovery work, especially early on, at least 30, if not 60 minutes a day. And I know that sounds like a lot, but take it from someone who knows recovery. Women who are willing to put in 30 to 60 minutes every single day of real recovery work. And I mean, reading, chatting with your sponsor, attending meetings, journaling, talking to someone about what's coming up for you. I don't mean just sitting and like journaling and doing the hard, heavy work for an hour a day. 
but doing something that's moving you forward in recovery and is helping you to heal and understand the kind of life you want to live. Those who do that recover way better, way faster. If you're not willing to put that kind of time in and this literally become a part-time job for you, you're probably going to be sober for a while. You very possibly will not recover in the ways you want to. So don't rush recovery. Don't rush getting to know yourself. Take your time with it. It's going to take time. It's going to seem really boring sometimes. It's going to seem like, oh, I can't believe this still feels so crappy. And then you'll feel better tomorrow. Nurture yourself. Take care of yourself. You are changing and you have changed since before these addictions started. But that's not bad. It's not easy. But you do need to get to know who you are now. You need to get to know what you love, who you love. And I want you to realize that that's what recovery actually means. Being sober means stopping all this junk that you know you don't want to be doing anyway. Recovering is you learning who you really are and stepping into that and learning to really enjoy your life and take back your life. Take back your thoughts. Take back your power. Take it back and live it truly the way you always wanted to, but just didn't know how. And this, my friends, is what I want for you more than anything. Thanks for listening. Can I ask you a favor? If this resonated with you, will you leave a review on Apple Podcasts? Your input allows us to reach more people and make a bigger impact. Next, if you're wondering whether or not you're ready for recovery, take the quiz by going to www.com herrecoveryroadmap.com forward slash quiz, where you'll find the right next step for you. Until next time, don't forget, you've got this and I've got you.